there's anything that he wanted me to do. And he said, no, he didn't do that. So I thought, you know, the last time I did this, I guess it was four years ago now, uh, Pastor Scott, and he was going through Philippians and he was talking about joy. And so I thought, uh, well, a good follow on with that is we'll just, uh, I'll ask, uh, I'll give an extra credit question. Uh, what's your joy quotient? <laughs> because in John 15, the Lord Jesus said, I have spoken these things unto you that your joy might be full and that my joy might be in you. And so we talked about joy. Well, last Sunday, Pastor Scott talked about our triune God. That little illustration he had on the second, third page with, with the circle and then the hub and the spokes, that's one of the most effective teaching tools I think I've ever experienced trying to communicate in concrete what an abstract triune God is. That every one of the three persons is God, but none of the three persons are the other two. And that, that really works well. So Pastor Scott, he went through and he gave us some verses in John, he gave us some verses in Ephesians, he gave us some verses in 1 Peter, and he gave us some verses in Jude, where in one verse it talks about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So I thought, well, a good follow on to that would be, uh, why don't we just go to a passage of Scripture that's not just one verse, but a consecutive series of verses that comprise a paragraph. And within that paragraph, it speaks of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it speaks of them in relation to their role in redemption. So that's what uh, I'd like to do here this evening. Now, in order to do that, uh, what I'd like to do, first of all, is to read the passage where it talks about the role of God the Father, the role of God the Son, and the role of God the Holy Spirit in redemption. Now, some of you are way ahead of me. You're already opening your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. <laughs> so that's, that's the part that I want, want to to read and to consider together. So, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, and what I would like to do is read beginning in verse 3 and go down through verse 14. Now, I, I said that the verses that Pastor Scott talked about in, uh, in John, in Ephesians, in 1 Peter, and in Jude, those the Trinity were all talked about in one verse. Here, it's more than one verse, but I, I really miss Hartwell. 
Hartwell was in the Sunday school class that I teach, and whenever I needed a Greek scholar, I could point right over there, and I had one. <laughs> and almost asked Dennis, but I didn't want to put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, down through verse 14. And next week you can ask Pastor Scott about this, but... They tell me that in the original language, it's all one sentence. Okay? So, Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Amen. Now, how would you like to diagram that sentence? <laughs> Why don't we pray together before we begin. <clears throat> Father, we do want to thank you for who you are. And as we've just read here, what the Apostle Paul wrote to those early believers in the church at Ephesus. Lord, how amazing you are. And how you can be all of these things and yet the psalmist wrestled with this he said when I consider the heavens the work of your hands what is man that you would even be mindful of him not only were you mindful 
that you wanted to buy us back. And you purchased our redemption. And so, Lord, as we consider the roles of each of the persons of the Godhead, and we realize how much of an impact they together had in this whole process that we call redemption and atonement. So, Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. For your glory and for our edification. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> so when you go through, look at Ephesians chapter 1, and you, you watch what the Apostle Paul says about the part that God the Father plays in your redemption and in mine. And then the spotlight shifts to the part that God the Son played in your redemption and mine. And then comes over here and the spotlight's on the Holy Spirit and the part that He plays in our redemption. Now, if you want to know where you are, you go to Ephesians 2. You were dead. <laughs> and when you get to Ephesians 2, he tells you, even though you were dead, God raised you up together with Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but as a, I say as a new Christian, well, really, for the first two and a half years of my learning to walk with Jesus, I really wrestled with that because I, I tried as hard as I could to come up with something where I had a part so I could take credit for it. <laughs> and then you go to John 6, you hear the Lord Jesus say, No one comes to me unless the Father draws it. I don't know how, how many of you have uh, read anything by G.K. Chesterton. Well, <clears throat> when he speaks of his own personal testimony, he, he says, I was running as fast and as far as I could go to try to get away from God only to discover that when I turned around and looked, he was right behind me, pursuing me the whole way. <laughs> you go to the Gospels, and you remember the parable? There's a series of parables that the Lord gives, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Uh, and for some reason, we title those the lost this, the lost that, the point of the whole thing is everything that was lost was found. <laughs> I don't know why we don't call it the parable of the finding. Because <laughs> he found you and he found me. 
That's just, that's hard to come to grips with. But he did. And so, you go down through it and you look at this and you watch all the things that the Father has done. Wow. And you think, oh. you remember John chapter 17, when the Lord Jesus is praying, and he makes this statement, Father, these that you have given to me, I have kept. I want to tell you, when the Father gave you to the Son, nothing can touch that. I thought about that, and I, you know, sometimes my imagination runs away from me. Might as well get that right out front. <laughs> I've wondered in eternity past. You know, we just read in Ephesians 1, he chose me before he even made the world. And I've wondered when the Father said to the Son, Son, I'm giving you Ed Volley. I often wondered if the Son didn't say to the Father, He's not worth it. But if He did, I'm absolutely convinced of what the Father would have said to the Son. I know, but you are. That's the reason you don't have to get, take a shower in order to take a bath. <laughs> he met you right where you were, unworthy, but Jesus was worthy. Wow, that's amazing, but I digress. <clears throat> All right, when we, when we go through these, we looked at that in Ephesians 1 as we read 13 through 1, 3 through 14. We just came through what we call Holy Week. So let me uh, let me transport you. We'll do a little time travel here. We'll go back to the upper room when Jesus and the disciples were having the Passover meal. And he said to these guys, well, now, I've been with you now for well nigh on to three years, but I am getting ready to leave. Oh. But he said, tell you what, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You know what I'm going to do? I, the Son, I'm going to ask the Father. 
going to ask the Father to send the Spirit. Now, we've already done a little time trouble. We're already back in the upper room just before the Lord's crucifixion. Well, we got the time machine going. We're going back a little farther over here. And you go back to the Old Covenant. The Spirit of the Lord came upon. And you can fill in the blank, whether it's Gideon or whether it's Saul or whether it's not. The Spirit of the Lord came upon, came upon, came upon. And the Lord Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Spirit after I'm gone. And when He comes, are you ready for this? He will be in you. Not upon. In you forever. When I get to glory, I'm going to ask those guys, what was going through your mind when you heard Jesus say that when the Spirit of God would come, he wouldn't just come upon, he would come and be in. They had no concept of that. But that's what he promised. Now, what's so amazing to me, you, well, I got I might have to take the batteries out of that clock. But anyway. <laughs> we talk about the different roles of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in redemption. Watch. We'll go back. We'll do a little more time travel. We'll, we'll be back here. Remember when Moses was on the Mount Sinai? And he said, okay, Moses, here's the specifications for the tabernacle. I want you to build it exactly like I said. Because when you do, I, the Father, am going to come down and meet with you. And you remember what happened when the... the and they completed it. And Moses had the prayer of dedication. You know what the scriptures say? That the Shekinah glory cloud, the visible representation of God the Father, came and just filled the tabernacle. They couldn't even go in. He was there. And he said, I will meet with you. This is an extra credit question. Do you remember the tag that the Jews put on the tabernacle? The tent of meeting. Now, 
when we use the word tether meeting, we, well, yeah, we come on Wednesday night so we can see each other and hi, how are you, how you been? Not that kind of meeting. Where God the Father met with his people. But he never got out of that building until you get to Ezekiel chapters. Well, we're really doing some time travel, aren't we? You get to Ezekiel 8, 9, and the Lord takes Ezekiel from over in Babylon and he brings him in an apocalyptic vision up to Jerusalem. And he said, I want, I want to show you what's going on. And he showed you. And this room over here, that storeroom that was supposed to have all of the oil for the lamps, it was supposed to have all of the incense for the... It was... You know what was in there? Idols to pagan gods. And Ezekiel said, I can't believe I'm seeing this. And the Lord said to Ezekiel, you haven't seen anything yet. You wait till you get to this room. Whoa. And he takes him on a tour of the temple. And Ezekiel's at a loss for words. And as he watches, He's standing right back there. And this curtain opens. And this Shekinah glory cloud comes right out of it. Comes right into the court of the priest. Comes right down to the court of the men. Right down to the court of the women. Right down to the court of the Gentiles. Standing on the threshold. And then he's up on the Mount of Olives. He's gone. And God the Father, who had left heaven and come to, to this little tent so he could meet with his people, he's gone. And he stayed gone for 400 years. Some of you may have already memorized Galatians 4. When the fullness of time was come, God the Father sent forth his Son, made of a woman, born under the law. The psalmist saw that happening. Remember in Psalm 110? Burn offerings and sacrifices, that's not doing it. But a body you have prepared for me, the me there being the Messiah. And it wasn't just any body. See, we read that, well, I say we, I try to blame it on you, but it's mostly me. I read that passage when Gabriel comes to Mary and says, I'm going to pick on you, Maxine. <laughs> Blessed art thou among women. What do you mean? Because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you are going to conceive and bear a son. 
and it's going to be my son. That's God the Father. You talk about preparing a body. I want to tell you. And he's here. Not confined just to a little tent. Not even to that magnificent temple that Solomon made. He's in a body just like yours and mine. The writer of Hebrews said he's tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. I remember as a young Christian, and, you know, I, I met the Lord, and within the first week I lost half my vocabulary. <laughs> and then the Lord started working on some other things. And it took longer than a week. And I... I remember I was pouring out my heart to him and said, Lord, you don't understand. And he said, wait a minute. <laughs> you go back and read Hebrews. Your high priest, my only begotten son, he was made just like you. He was tempted in all points as you are, yet without sin. So when you tell him, Lord, you don't understand, he understands. He's been there. Hallelujah. He was here for a little while. See, we, we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the resurrection, we celebrate the empty tomb. For most of us in Western evangelical Christianity, we just blow right on by ascension day. Forty days later, he's gone. Now he told the guys there in the upper room, he said, I'm leaving. But, he said, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send the Spirit of Truth. That's John chapter 16. And when he comes, ah, and then he begins to set forth what it is that the Spirit of God is committed to accomplish in the life of every believer. The promised Holy Spirit. See? Now, I told you already once that my imagination tends to run away from me. When the Father came in the form of a glory cloud in a tent later in the building, and he was gone. When the Son came, he, God the Father prepared a body for him. Now, you open up the book of Acts. <laughs> the Lord is gone. Another day that, you know, we blow on by Ascension Day. That was 40 days later. Ten days after that, 50 days, 
Pentecost. And what happened? The Spirit of God left heaven came to earth. But not to live in the building. But to live and not to live in just one body. I want to tell you, we talk about the progress of redemption. <laughs> God dwelling in the building, to God dwelling in the body, to God dwelling in every believer. <clears throat> now I have an idea. <clears throat> when you get to glory, if you find the answer to this before I do, you let me know. I'll get out of line and get in another one. <laughs> I have an idea. You have God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit looks over at God the Son. A body you have prepared for me. And then the Holy Spirit looks at you and me. And I've often wondered if the Holy Spirit said to God the Father, I gotta live in that body. <laughs> Look at the Son. You prepared a body for Him. And I gotta live in it. If you've ever caught yourself complaining because you drew the short straw, <laughs> you don't have anything to complain about. The Holy Spirit's one up on you. But there he is. Now, and I'm trying to find a theologian. We don't have one in the whole crowd. Do we? <laughs> the question comes, God the Holy, God the Father, he was here, and then he left. And God the Son was here, and then he left. And God the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And near as I can tell, He's still here. Now, based on what happened to the other two, <laughs> I think there's coming the time when he's going to leave. God the Father. God, we have an amazing God. We really do. That was right on cue, wasn't it? <laughs> that, uh, and the sound was cut off. <laughs> I, I thought maybe it was the trumpet we were all getting ready to go. All right. No. Sorry, Brandon. All right. Oh. Um. Yeah. John 
16. Uh, if you, John 16, verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. The Lord Jesus said, When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative. But whatever He hears, He will speak. Now, um, if you want to know how that works, the Lord Jesus is promising when the Holy Spirit comes, whatever he hears, that he's going to speak. If you go back to John chapter 8, that was the occasion when the Lord Jesus, people were amazed at what he was saying. And he said, what I'm telling you isn't from me. What I'm telling you is what the Father told me to tell you. And in the same way that God the Father said to God the Son, okay, Son, this is what I want you to say. Now you were over here. And the Lord Jesus said, when he comes, He's going to glorify me. The Son is going to glorify, I mean the Spirit is going to glorify the Son. And what He's going to do, what He hears, that's what He's going to say. Now, see, uh, we, we talk about, uh, you know, how do we know what God says? And we keep holding up this book. Because it's God breathed. Peter explains it this way. He says, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own idea, but holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We call that inspiration. Now watch. See, it's true of this book, but only this one. This book isn't like any other book anywhere in the world. This book has God as its author. None of the rest of them do. And the Spirit of God, you go to 1 Corinthians 2, and he says, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, what the Spirit of God does is He takes thoughts and combines them with words. I don't know whether you've got a page in your prayer sheet for things you're thankful for, but if you don't have language on it, you ought to have it. A language is amazing. Because, you know what I'd like to do? What I'd like to do, I've got a thought in my head. And what I'd like to do is just sit down here for a little bit until my back quits hurting. Are you getting it? <laughs> See what, you know what language does? It takes 
thoughts and puts it into words. And what's so amazing is you and I can read words and you know what comes to our mind? Thoughts. Now the linguist, if you know anybody that's with uh, Wycliffe Bible translators and they've studied linguistics for quite a while. In linguistics, those people, they have real tight definitions. And especially with two. words get there. The Spirit of God gave a thought to the writer. And the writer took those thoughts and he put them into words. Now you and I read those words and the thought comes into our mind. Now the linguist, they call the thought that the author had in his mind meaning. And he puts that into words. And then Drew picks up this letter to the church at Ephesus and he reads it and a thought comes to his mind. You know what the linguist calls that? Interpretation. How many times in your life have you <laughs> heard somebody say, I can't trust the Bible, there are so many interpretations. You want to know how many interpretations there are? As many as there are people. Do you want to know how many correct interpretations there are? One. What makes it correct? that it agrees with me? <laughs> what makes an interpretation correct is when it's the same thought that the author had when he wrote it. Now when you're trying to read Shakespeare, you're on your own. But when you come to this book, this I'm not going to be able to get through this. The very one and the same Spirit of God that put the thought in the mind of the Apostle Paul when he wrote Ephesians 1 is the same Spirit that the Father sent on the day of Pentecost to indwell every believer so that when we read those words he will help you and he will help me get the same thought in our mind that the author had when he wrote it. Whew. I want to tell you 
Now, we put terms on all this. The thought that the, author, the Spirit of God put in the author of Scripture, we call that inspiration. And when you and I open that word and say, Lord, I want to know what you want me to be. I want to know what you want me to do. And I cannot figure that out on my own. But the Lord Jesus promised that he would take that word and would give the same thought to me. And it's going to be up to me to believe it and to do it. We call that I had it and then it just inspiration for the author, the reader, illumination. Now that that's technical terms that the linguists use. Now, illumination, you throw that word out now, and the thing that comes to your mind right now is not what I've just been talking about, is it? But there you are. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. God the Father is not the Son. God the Father is not the Holy Spirit. God the Son is not the Father. God the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. And the Holy Spirit is not the Son. They all have different roles. Scott used a, a word that I can't even pronounce on Sunday, but you know, but there they are. Well, you've been very patient with me, and I see. Hopefully, it'll be worth missing Joe's speech tonight. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but Scott said we want to uh, leave at least uh, ten minutes here, so we can all uh, pray together for at least for these five or six folks. And some of you may uh, have something on your heart that you want to uh, express so that we can join in with you and lift up. We would be more than delighted to do that one another. Uh, so we'll uh, do now. Uh, I need to be able to pick on somebody. Uh, Drew, you look like a good candidate. <laughs> See, that's what you get for sitting on the front row. Okay. Yeah. I, I, if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to ask you if you would open our time in prayer. Okay. And, and anybody else, uh, I'm not going to be taking notes and telling Pastor Scott who prayed and who didn't. So. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right. You got the camera going. Oh. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that thing. Oh, <laughs> my, my only hope is that Jonathan forgot to turn it off. <laughs> uh, but, but my one, my one. Side
salvation is if it's zeroed in on, on here. I spent most of the time over here in Genesis and again over here in Babylon. So unless it's got a wide-angle lens, I'm only on the end in about half of it. So. So, Drew, take us to the throne of grace, if you would, brother. Oh, uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be in your house tonight. And to, uh, we just thank you so much for inspiring uh, Ed to speak to us about the Trinity. And uh, sometimes, it's, uh, as we always say, it's very, very difficult to understand. But I think with the... Uh, diagram that we saw Scott present to us on Sunday and with Ed's explanation again tonight, it just makes it much more real to us and we just thank you for that uh, for the Holy Spirit that you have sent to us that will dwell with us forever and it's not going to leave uh, thank you so much for for caring about us that much to, that we uh, that you always are with us and guide us and help us to understand your word. I think that is what's so important when we when we read your word and, and we try to understand what you're talking about, that you have sent the Spirit to us to help uh, enlighten us and to illuminate those words for us. And we thank you for the chance that we have tonight of uh, just being reminded of that. Um, Lord, we have uh, some people who've been through some surgeries this week and we lift them up to you tonight, uh, Peggy Nichols and David Smith, uh, uh, Mary Treadwell, Rose Whitlow. Uh, these are some individuals that we know have gone through some surgeries and, and are doing well. And we just uh, give you praise for that. We uh, <clears throat> give you praise that Joe's daughter uh, is, is doing so much better, just the miracles happen in her life, and we're, we're thankful that Joe and Marlene have been able to travel up here to see her in a totally different condition than she was in when they were there before. And we miss them from being part of our group tonight. We know that, that you uh, that they need to be where they are. We just thank you for uh, remembering them and keeping them safe. Uh, Pastor Scott and, and Connie are visiting with their family. We just pray you lift them up to you that they will have a safe trip back home when they get ready to return. Uh, we just give you praise and glory tonight, Lord. And thank you so much for, for uh, this church and what it means to our lives. Uh, we just uh, praise your name in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that your ear is always open to hear our cry. 
We thank you for the marvelous promise that we have. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and he said, you know, sometimes there's something on your heart that is so heavy that you cannot even put it into words. And he says, on those occasions, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. It's a, it, it is, it's simul translation raised to the highest level. Because you take those groanings, which are too deep for words, and you convey them. Lord, you, you are amazing. And there are times, and Lord, for me personally, right now is one of them. One of the fellows said here as we as they came in this evening that part of the folks who were normally here have uh, stayed to watch the president give his uh, address to the Congress. And Lord, you go through the New Testament. And you watch what these fellows wrote to these different churches. And you read what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And he said you're to pray for kings and for all those who are in authority. And in Rome it was the emperor. And at the time he was asking them to pray for the emperor. It was Nero. And Lord, I, I have to fess up. I want to tell you, it is so difficult for me to try to put into words how I can pray for some of the people that are in the office of responsibility. <coughs> And yet I flee to Daniel 4. Three times you tell us the most high rules over all the nations and he puts in charge of them whoever he wants and it is often the lowliest of men. Lord, none of us ask you to put Fidel Castro in charge of Cuba. None of us ask you to put Idi Amin in charge of Uganda. None of us ask you to put Saddam Hussein. And we can go right down the list. Lord, we wouldn't have put the guy in charge of North Korea, who's we wouldn't have put the guy in charge of China who was there. 
Lord, we just fall back. And then, well, I was going to say glad obedience, but for me it's grudging obedience. But Lord, we do want to do, be obedient to your word and pray for people. Even though they're not on our Christmas list. They're people that you've put for purposes that I cannot begin to comprehend. And oftentimes, I remind you, you didn't ask me before you did it. And you do that a lot. Because you have a gentle way of reminding me that you are sovereign mm -hmm. and I am not. <laughs> but Lord, thank you that you wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life even before you created the world. And when you said to the Son, I'm going to give it to you. And if he said, really? He's not worthy. I have an idea that you said to the Son. I know that. But you are. And when I look at him, I see him clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. And for that, I can only say, to God the Father, be the glory. <laughs>